This week on Paranormally Speaking. Hey, it's me again. I'm your host, Neil Parks. For this episode of Paranormally Speaking, I will be discussing forgotten knowledge and forbidden history. That being ancient civilizations that we really don't know enough about. And there's so much information that has been destroyed through the centuries. And even before we started record-keeping, like, we only have 9 to 12% of human history written in some form to catalog and to keep track of what we've done, where we've been, and where we're headed. That's like 90-something percent that's gone. Completely forgotten. And, of course, there are texts and... Not as something like a text message, but, you know, scrolls and tablets and so forth made of stone that talk about ancient, ancient history that we are led to believe is myth. But there may be a lot more fact to it than we could ever imagine. I'll be discussing that this week, and I hope you're ready to have your mind blown. Please hold for an important message from one of my sponsors. Now playing one of the biggest podcasts of the week on the free iHeartRadio app. Now number one for podcasting. Flying Saucers and the Bible Connection. Bible scholar Barry Downing firmly believes that biblical teachings were inspired by extraterrestrials who came to Earth in flying saucers. Downing was so convinced he wrote a book about the theory called The Bible and Flying Saucers, Lip Kant, New York, 1968. In the book, he says the Bible clearly points out how UFOs played a strong role in the evolution of the Hebrew Christian faith. Downing believes the scriptures suggest that Jesus' resurrection occurred when he was beamed up from earth by a flying saucer. Downing also believes that the bright cloud that led the people of Israel through the Red Sea, parting the waters, and then engulfing the Egyptians was a UFO. The author even claims... It was space beings who spoke to Moses from the middle of the glowing thicket and later spoke to Elijah outside of the cave, forcing the prophet to shield his eyes because of the brightness. A UFO took Jesus away at the ascension and hovered over Paul and his followers on the Damascus road, Downing contends. He also claims the three wise men probably followed a UFO to Bethlehem. Since stars do not move or abruptly stop in the manner the UFO des- the uh, Bible describes, Downing claims that evidence proving UFOs could be hazardous to human health can also be found in the Bible. He points to the references to the Egyptians drowning in the Red Sea, warnings given to Moses not to approach too near the burning bush, and warnings given to his followers not to approach Mount Sinai as proof. The author points out other mystifying events in the Bible that he believes can only be interpreted to mean the participants had contact with UFOs. For example, he points out that when Moses descended from Mount Sinai with two tablets in his hands, Exodus records that the skin of his face shone from talking to God, and he says the New Testament describes how Jesus began to glow when in contact with a bright object on a mountain. When the tabernacle was built, Downing contends the priests serving it were told by ETs what clothing to wear to protect themselves against radiation. 
because the UFO hovered like a cloud over the tent, enclosing the tabernacle. Downing believes this precaution could have brought about the Jewish custom of wearing skull caps into houses of worship, yarmulkes. The author even suggests mutations in the growth of biological life caused by radiation could have resulted in the plagues described in Exodus. Downing further theorizes that Einstein's curvature of space theory provides a clue to where heaven is located. The author contends Jesus may have meant that the kingdom of heaven literally rests in the midst of us, meaning that heaven is on an entirely different plane or wavelength, invisible to us, but existing parallel to our own, connected by bends or warps in the space-time continuum. Good day and happy April. This is Neil. I'm your host for Paranormally Speaking. That is Neil Parks. You can find out all kinds of cool information about me on Google, through YouTube, and Facebook. All you have to do is put in keyword search at the Neil Parks. That's N-E-A-L-P-A-R-K-S, at the Neil Parks. Go to Google, put that in. You'll find uh, avenues and channels in order to purchase my books, merchandise that I normally carry and sell at book signings, conventions, and festivals. This week's episode of Paranormally Speaking, I will be discussing the lost city of Atlantis and the Bermuda Triangle mysteries. Somehow they are linked. I remember watching documentaries in the 1970s or documentaries from the 70s that I watched in the 80s, one of the two. But I've been around since 1975, so it's hard to tell. But these documentaries were narrated and presented by George C. Scott and Leonard Nimoy from time to time. Nimoy would carry on these shows as well. And it covered an array of topics, such as UFO sightings, haunted locations, Bigfoot sightings, the Loch Ness Monster the Bermuda Triangle, and the lost city of Atlantis. Uh, That inspired me to not only research and write my own conclusions, my own stories, and stories that have been told to me by people who've come close to those regions or who have witnessed strange things near the Bermuda area and that triangle on the water, But tales of ships and aircraft and people who have completely vanished out of sight when flying in and around that region. Now, one of the documentaries, this one was hosted by George C. Scott, where it showed a theory that, based on a tale told from Homer, Homer being the author of the Iliad and the Odyssey uh, during uh, the Greek pre-Roman Empire, And keep in mind, Homer was blind, but as a child, he could see. And he wrote in a story, well, the story was written based on the oral retelling because at that time they didn't really write shit down. They just sat around a campfire and told tales. And then it got passed on from continent to continent that way. But he talked about coming upon a city in the middle of the ocean. And it was far away from Olympus, as he, as he put it in the story. And it was a magical city in the middle of the ocean that essentially had its own weather system. And 
vessels would, as he put it, fly in and out of there. Which leads me to believe that it could be something alien-related. Perhaps the Atlanteans are not of this world. And they set up camp in the middle of one of our oceans and decided to establish a colony on Earth from their home world. And the way Homer described it matches everything you've seen in any kind of a sci-fi show that, of course, took away from that tale. Just to get passed down generation to generation and showed highly advanced people on this island. And, of course, they, according to Homer, looked the part of the time, the way they dressed, the way they spoke. But these people of this land were knowledgeable of all cultures. They knew their way around the world. They knew of the world beyond the only world Homer ever knew or heard of, the other side of the world. And they also had gadgets and weapons and and things of a supernatural ability, uh, things that were completely unknown and unheard of at this point in time in the world that Homer and all of his people knew. And they had a giant, like, gyrosphere that would spiral around above the city, and it was connected to some kind of a rod. And it generated... It generated sun. It generated magnetism. It generated clouds. It's almost like its own early harp project. It was a weather magnet, essentially. And some believe that this angered the gods or God the creator, God the father, whichever it might be. But the city was destroyed and sunk deep beneath the currents. And it was destroyed on an apocalyptic level destroyed by biblical proportions I'm talking Pompeii worse than that and which leads many researchers to believe that this weather magnet sunk to the bottom of the ocean where Atlantis used to rest or somehow moved its way down or Atlantis was in the Bermuda Triangle one of the one of the theories and this weather magnet is what is causing all of the problems in the Bermuda Triangle that it has essentially opened a doorway, a portal to an alternate dimension, to the past, present, future, the present of an alternate realm, the future beyond our own knowing, the past beyond our own world. It's hard to tell where these things are going when they disappear, where these people end up residing once they're gone, where they turn up. No one really knows. It's all merely speculation, theory, idea, concept based on stories passed on by people who tell stories based on research by people who do research. It's anyone's guess. But that's what I'll be discussing this week on this episode of Paranormally Speaking. Please hold for an important message from our sponsor. Unparalleled Insider Access. Get it all. Introducing the SiriusXM Platinum VIP Plan. Our newest, most exclusive plan. Listen in two cars, plus stream anywhere with two app logins. Access a massive, exclusive library of live concert video and audio recordings through nugs.net. 
have opportunities to experience live and virtual SiriusXM events, including VIP-only exclusives. Get all your questions answered by a dedicated VIP customer care team. Plus, get all the entertainment we've got. It's all included with your Platinum VIP subscription. Be a VIP. Call 844-711-8800 to learn more. Offer detail supply. One login for activated vehicle. Not available in Canada. Hello and welcome back to the soothing sounds of Paranormally Speaking. I'm your host, Neil Parks. Onward now with the top 10 most bizarre and interesting stories of the lost city of Atlantis. Number five, the golden statue of Poseidon. The fable tells that Cleato had five pairs of twin sons with Poseidon, the eldest of which was named Atlas. The ten sons inherited the great city, and the first child, Atlas, became the first ruler of Atlantis. However, it is believed they also built a huge temple for their father with a giant statue of Poseidon riding a chariot carried by winged horses. The statue was completely built in gold and placed in a temple with its spiral roof so high up that the clouds drifted through the spirals of the temple itself. Number six, the self-sufficient and rich city of Atlantis. The fertile and beautiful city of Atlantis, where half God and half human beings lived, is believed to have been a self-sufficient region where people grew their own food and reared animals. Farmers in this city used to grow crops in the fertile plains on the outskirts, which, with this, the help of well-maintained irrigation system. They also built beautiful buildings and other architectures from materials like black and red stone. They also had access to rare metals and even alloys like brass made and used crystals extensively for leisure and experimental purposes, and had a lot of free time to even play with volcanoes. Now, I'm sure you know well by now that Atlantis has been heavily used in the DC Comics and DCEU, which is where Aquaman resides and is the ruler of Atlantis. And of course, in Marvel Comics, soon to be introduced in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Prince Namor, the King of Atlantis, their version of the people of Atlantis in the Marvel Comics, where he starts out as an antagonist and soon becomes an ally to our superheroes. The Rising of Atlantis, number seven, other than the legend of the lost city of Atlantis and other fables, the fact that the city still remains unknown among historians and other researchers. The findings of Edgar K Casey had something different to tell. Edgar Casey believed in the rising of the lost city once again, like the sun rises from the sea. He predicted a new land would appear off the east coast of North America, near the Bermuda Triangle. He also suggested that the souls of a number of people lived in Atlantis had been incarnating to America in order to usher in a new era of enlightened human consciousness. Atlantis, number eight, extraterrestrial connection. Stories also claim that the original inhabitants of the lost city of Atlantis are to believe to be of extraterrestrial origin who reached there about 50,000 years ago from the Lyrian star system. Despite being much taller and fairer than today's average human being, the average lifespan of these people is believed to have been 800 years, making them really robust and strong prototype of the 
existent human race then. Number nine, exceptional powers of the Atlanteans, supernatural abilities, the unexplained and the paranormal. As some claim that the lost city of Atlantis was on Mars or was just a colony of an alien civilization, the inhabitants of the Atlantis city believed to have the, have the possessors of exceptional powers, such as the ability to control the weather and modify volcanic eruptions. Some accounts also mention about their possession of some sort of a device that allowed them to channel energy from time and space. Even though the myth says that the inhabitants of the Atlantis city were superior beings, there are some of the opinions that it is just a mythical representation of a barbaric fashion of life. And lastly, but not least, number 10, a fable based on real events, question mark. While many still consider the lost city of Atlantis is just a legend, there are many conspiracy theories during the theories, I sound like an old man having a stroke theories, doing the rounds suggesting that the fable is actually based on real events. Ocean explorer Robert Ballard finds logic in the story as it is similar with a massive volcanic eruption in the island of Santorini in the Aegean Sea near Greece. Ballard says a highly advanced society lived there and then disappeared suddenly. As happened with the Atlantis, similarly, Donnelly also confirms the existence and disappearance of a mid-Atlantic continent that was in the exact location that Plato mentioned. As the debate goes on, few researchers claimed that this utopian kingdom was a real continent located off the Bahamas and it was swallowed up by the Bermuda Triangle later, while another group suggested current Antarctica is the newer version of Atlantis. Meanwhile, James Rom, a professor at Bard College, in New York, says Plato himself created the story in order to convey some of his philosophical theories, mostly about his vision of an ideal civilization. Top 10 Amazing Facts About the Lost City of Atlantis The world is full of unsolved mysteries. Despite the great achievements in the field of science, we human beings remain clueless about many things around us. Rather than the land we live, what seems stranger to us is the ocean, which is home to many myths, legends, and mysteries. In fact, a side fun fact is there are more dead bodies in the ocean, all the oceans, than there are in every single graveyard, whether it be marked or unmarked, on the surface of the earth. While scientists have succeeded in explaining many of these mysteries, there are quite a few still remaining as unexplained. Lost cities, hidden treasures, Mystic ships are all part of the alluring marine world. Of all of these, the lost city of Atlantis tops that list. The lost city of Atlantis, first mentioned by the ancient Greek philosopher Plato and storyteller Homer more than 2,300 years ago, is known as one of the oldest and greatest mysteries of the world. According to Plato, the utopian island kingdom existed some 9,000 years before his time, and mysteriously disappeared one day. Famed for having been the exhibit of all worldly pleasures in the world, this city is the enigmatic as it is inviting. Where is Atlantis, the mysterious location? The biggest questions that boggle minds of all scientists and researchers is that, where is Atlantis? Where was it? 
The narration suggested that the city is believed to have sunk into the sea after an earthquake or tsunami. According to him, the so-called Atlantis was a large island located near the Rock of Gibraltar and consisted of the Sodian Temple and concentric walls and canals. Plato added that the city under the sea should have been somewhere in the Atlantic Ocean. However, no technology so far has revealed any such city on the ocean's bed. While some theories suggested that the Atlantis is located in the Mediterranean off the coast of Spain, few also argued that it could have been under Antarctica. For a long time, Azores was believed to be the site of the city of Atlantis. However, the new research has revealed a new site, and the scientists are sure that Atlantis can be found in Cadiz, somewhere between Spain and the Morocco waters. The extent of the truth in this story is really a mystery in itself. Questions like, where are the Atlanteans, or do they even exist or have existed for real, or still very much unanswered. But until the truth beneath it can be completely unraveled, the world will continue speculating about the existence of the greatest city of all time. The unknown size of this giant city, Plato talking about the mysterious underwater kingdom wrote, for the ocean there was at that time navigable for it in front of the mouth, which you Greeks call, as you say, the Pillars of Hercules. There lay an island which was larger than Libya and Asia together. And it was possible for the travelers of that time to cross from it to other islands. And from the islands to the whole of the continent, over against them, which encompasses that variable ocean. Agreeing that Plato over the size of the island, Tertullian, an early Christian author who believed that the Atlantans really once existed in the Atlantic Ocean, and that Atlantis was there, said it would be bigger than today's Libya and Asia combined, since many others proposed the location of the city of Atlantis is in the Mediterranean Sea, narrations have come out scaling the size of the city to Crete, Greece's largest island. However, in many stories after Plato's era, the Atlantis was described as a giant city, missing anything specific about the size of the city. Edgar Casey, an American Christian mystic, suggested that the Atlantis and the Eurasia were equal in size. Number three, Tale of God's Love. Legend says that the Atlantis city was built by Poseidon, the god of the sea, of storms and earthquakes. When he fell in love with a mortal by the name of Cleito, he made the city on the top of a hill in an isolated island in the sea to protect her and named it Atlantis. According to the story, Poseidon walked through the water in an effort to find the biggest island until he reached the biggest of them all, Atlantis, and found it to be inhabited by people who were more beautiful and intelligent than the rest of the world. It was then he fell in love with Cleito, when he finds her on the island. The Captivation Palace Number four, the new home built by Poseidon for his love in the city of Atlantis was surrounded by rings of water and land. The five rings of water were connected to the land with the help of five tunnels. 
where a huge canal connected the outer rings of the water to the ocean. The tunnels were able to accommodate ships, and every route to the city was guarded by gates and towers. Moreover, the wall was surrounded by the rings and was built using red, white, and black rock, and it was decorated with precious metals. Meanwhile, there was another hill called the Hill of Cleato, where it is believed Poseidon captivated his wife because he was distrustful of her loyalty. This hill was surrounded by huge moats and pillars. Please hold for an important message from our sponsor. Available to order now, my first audiobook, Neil Parks Presents Truly Terrifying Tales, narrated by me. It's ready to order and download on bandcamp.com. My other books, of course, are always available to order on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and lulu.com. You can also order t-shirts that I designed that I normally sell at conventions, festivals, lectures, and my book signings. I always have the 9-inch tall 3D printed Bigfoot silhouettes available. And last spring, my first children's book was released. It was written by my good friend and fellow author, R.L. Walker. I illustrated this book, and it was a major shift in gears for me, considering that my writing and art style has always been dark and scary. To order any of what I just mentioned, you can also go to my email, which is parksparanormal at gmail.com. That is parksparanormal at gmail.com. Standing by. Here's the $10 million question. Did U.S. Special Forces kill a giant in Kandahar? Several conspiracy theory-oriented websites are claiming a biblical giant, much like Goliath, with flaming red hair, was killed by U.S. soldiers in Afghanistan. United States Special Forces allegedly killed this giant in Kandahar in 2002, and the government has been trying to cover it up, according to these sources. Several personalities and websites dedicated to discussing supernatural myths and conspiracy theories began claiming in 2016 that an American Special Forces soldier serving in Kandahar, Afghanistan, was killed in 2002 by a 1,100-pound, blade-wielding, 12-foot-tall giant, equal or equivalent to the Old Testament times, before the giant itself was taken down by the military. A Department of Defense spokesperson told them they had no record of such an incident. <clears throat> and I quote, We do not have any record or information about a Special Forces member killed by a giant in Kandahar. Current interest in the story appears to have been generated from a video created by L.A. Maruzili, an author, blogger, and filmmaker determined to link modern times with biblical creatures and prophecies. On the 13th of August, 2016, he posted an episode on YouTube of his series, Watchers, in which he claims to interview a military contractor or soldier who witnessed the blade-wielding giant on Kandahar. <coughs> kill another soldier before being downed by troops, whisked away by a transport aircraft and hidden away from public view. Marzuli makes the case that the giant was a Nephilim, which were described in the book of Genesis as offspring of gods and human women who inhabited Canaan in the time of the Israelite conquest. But when it comes down to details, he's vague saying he interviewed the unnamed man at an undisclosed location on an unknown date. 
The interviewee, who he claims shot and killed the giant, doesn't give any details on the location of the alleged incident, other than to say it was a remote location in Afghanistan in 2002. He claims that he and others were sent to look for a missing patrol when they saw a scarlet-haired giant emerge from a cave and skewer one of their friends, who he called Dan, with a large blade. In the Army statement, it's sufficient, isn't sufficient. The only service member with the first name Dan or Daniel who died in Kandahar in 2002 was killed along with three others in an accident involving the clearing and disposal of explosives. There are no incidents on the Department of Defense press release page in which all military casualties are listed involving a giant likewise. There are no reports of an entire patrol disappearing in Afghanistan at that time either. Marzulli's video about the alleged giant incident, replete and growling animation, can be seen on the website provided. Ghosts, aliens, UFOs, Bigfoot, parallel universes, angels and demons, time travel, cryptozoology, and so much more within the realm of the unexplained, the strange, and the out of this world. I'm your host, Neil Parks, award-winning author, screenwriter, researcher, and paranormal professional. Join me every week as I tackle hot-button topics within the paranormal realm. I'll share personal accounts, my research, and secondhand evidence. I will read excerpts and stories from my books and discuss my upcoming projects in the literary world. Documentaries, both on TV and the big screen, plus my independent film projects. Paranormally Speaking is both thought-provoking and entertaining. New episodes drop every Thursday. Tune in to Paranormally Speaking and prepare to be enlightened. Ezekiel and the Strange Beings. Who were they exactly? The prophet Ezekiel was a Jewish priest who lived in Chaldea. He claimed he was contacted four times during a 20-year period, beginning about 593 B.C., by man-like beings who came to Earth in a fiery chariot. NASA rocket engineer Joseph Blumrich believes Ezekiel was probably the world's first UFOologist, describing in detail the strange beings that confronted him and their craft. Ezekiel's writings, of course, can be found in the Old Testament. In this book, The Space Beings of Ezekiel, Bontem, New York, 1974, which was published, Blumrich reinterprets Ezekiel's observations to produce an engineering analysis of the fiery chariot described in the Bible. Like I mentioned earlier, seeing a UFO at that time in the history of mankind, one would compare it to a wheel, a wheel in the sky. Uh, no one would at that time know what a saucer was or a disc or even a uh, cigar-shaped vehicle in the sky. They would equate it to a wheel. Incredibly, that analysis found that the object Ezekiel encountered could be built today. NASA, the author points out, holds patents on atmospheric reentry vehicles closely designed after the object Ezekiel reported. In the Bible, Ezekiel writes... He watched a stormy wind descend from the north, fire flashing forth continually, and within it he saw the likeness of four living creatures, each with four wings and a pair of human hands. Now, sounds a lot like uh, winged creatures, humanoids that could be close to what we think of as the Mothman, or perhaps gargoyles, or uh, any other type of winged cryptid. Bloomrick interprets this to mean four landing legs, possibly. 
each with four-bladed helicopter and mechanical arm attachments supporting a, a uh, spacecraft body. Ezekiel was able to positively identify only one feature of the object, the wheels, one at the bottom of each leg, which were capable of moving in any direction. Author Bloomrick believes Ezekiel's observation, a wheel within a wheel, describes a technique for locomotion. The U.S. space program incorporated into vehicles designed to operate on the surface of other planets. Ezekiel describes the wheels he saw as light greenish blue and the body of the object as resembling rock crystal or terrible ice, as suggesting uh, to Bloomrick that the prophet was seeing a shiny surface, the same shiny surface described in thousands of present-day UFO sightings. From the object, the Bible tells us, emerged the appearance of a man who had been seated upon the likeness of a throne. Ezekiel refers to the being as the glory of the Lord, rather than the Lord himself, Bloomrick points out. The author believes the likeness of a man described by Ezekiel was a spacecraft commander who wore a gold or brass colored suit and demonstrated for the prophet his ability to fly from his craft to the ground. Then taken for a ride on the craft, Ezekiel described the experience with the words, the spirit lifted me up. According to Bloomrick's interpretation, and when they landed, seven men received the commander. One of them said, I have done as thou didst command me. Three more times over the following 20 years, Ezekiel described the same craft, and after each encounter, the prophet described the experience with the words, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and the Spirit took hold of me, or the Spirit lifted me up. Bloomrick speculates the prophet may have been describing a hyphonic influence and teleportation, possibly. He also theorizes that the UFO began its descent after separating from a larger UFO at 220 miles in altitude. A brief firing of its rockets enabled the craft's helicopter-like blades to descend the rest of the way and maneuver for a landing. The author believes Ezekiel witnessed this phase of the flight and the prophet mistook the rockets blasting for lightning and the helicopter blades for rushing wind. The author believes Ezekiel was chosen for an encounter because he was a priest and occupied a leadership role among his people. Based on Ezekiel's observations, Bloomrick believes that speculated the ETs were studying humans and ex... Um, exerated the intellectual influence of the development of human civilization through the priest Ezekiel. Fantastic. Roswell, UFOs, flying saucers, alien abduction. Are we alone? Information regarding this and many other questions about the unknown are only a click away at www.theufostore.com. Theufostore.com offers hundreds of DVDs about UFOs, aliens, crop circles, conspiracies, Bigfoot, suppressed science, ancient mysteries. Log on to www.theufostore.com and request a free UFO store catalog. Theufostore.com, the largest selection of UFO products on the Internet. Imagine no longer being 
being tied down to your computer, but having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. TalkStream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application. The talk shows you follow now follow you. And your iPhone is now the fastest and easiest way to stay connected to the best talk radio on the Internet. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Mobile talk radio from TalkStream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. That's terrific. Some researchers claim there are even more hidden messages found in Da Vinci's work. Furthermore, there is likely an extraterrestrial influence behind it. It goes without saying that Leonardo da Vinci was ahead of his time. The volume of everything that he has put out in the past that, that he came up with, that he drafted, that he painted, that he sketched, makes it difficult to fully explore in a lifetime. His notebooks and manuscripts remain, however, and contain everything from construction plans for tanks and helicopters to wild inventions that have come into reality centuries later. His impact is so profound that his Salvatore Mundi was bought by a Saudi prince for a new museum in Abu Dhabi for $400 million during his life. Da Vinci was scrutinized by the Roman Catholic Church because of an appearance of wide-ranging philosophical tastes. Consequently, he had to hide information in his paintings to avoid being labeled a heretic. Between the years 1476 and 1478, da Vinci disappeared from records. His life did not otherwise have gaps in terms of coverage. Just before this time, however, he had an interesting experience. One of the autobiographical anecdotes for, from his journal tells the story of being drawn to a cave while hiking. He was pulled in by the desire to experience the wonder inside. Some of the ancient astronaut theorists suggest that his experience inside the cave permitted him to see the future, and it is likely related to interactions with aliens. Using a technique called thermographics, da Vinci's Adoration of the Magi was analyzed in 2002 in Florence, Italy. An underdrawing was discovered inside the painting of the three wise men visiting the infant Jesus. The analysis, however, showed much more than what is visible to the naked eye. As it turns out, there were layers of paint, some additions, and there were not painted by the original artist. One such detail painted over was a pagan temple, which would have been a problem at the time with the prevailing church. In fact... One of the background drawings is a temple with the lotus flower, which is the flower of life. Some of the ancient astronaut theorists contend da Vinci was obsessed with lotus flowers, which may indicate his connection to potential alien contacts. The Last Supper has been fully explored ad nauseum, but a quick summary is in order. The painting depicts the moment when Jesus told his disciples on who would betray him, and they were all frozen in action. The figure of Jesus' right is assumed to be the Apostle John, but many think it's Mary Magdalene because of the feminine features. Furthermore, the downward-pointing face and angle corresponds with da Vinci's belief that women should be depicted in such a manner. Finally, the mirror image 
clothing, and pose, which together form a capital M, indicate Mary Magdalene. So why was she placed in the painting? And where is the chalice, commonly known as the Holy Grail? According to the ancient aliens crew, the two items are related, and it all comes down to a representation of Mary Magdalene's pregnancy, Jesus' divine children, which eventually leads to da Vinci somehow, according to the book of Judas that was taken out of the Gnostic Gospels, or in one way, shape, or form not at all connected to the Gnostic Gospels, and the Gnostics along with the Apocrypha, which are of the original Hebrew to Christian translation of the original written word. We can't seem to get away from Nostradamus' predictions. Even after 2012, when the world didn't actually end, we also can't seem to shake bad news. While some astrologers are predicting a somewhat hopeful future beginning in the new year, if you choose to believe in a Nostradamus, you better start saying your goodbyes. The year we're currently in, 2021, Nostradamus' predictions are morbid, terrifying, and exhausting, especially after such an unpredictable year that we had in 2020. And it seems the predictions end with uncertain death, another prediction that the world will end as we know it. For a little background, all of these predictions come from Michel de Nostradamus, a French philosopher who lived in the 1500s. He left some poetic predictions, 6,338 prophecies to be exact, that some modern-day believers contend have foreseen some modern-day tragedies, including, like I said, Adolf Hitler and the 9-11 attacks. After great trouble for humanity, a great one is prepared the greater mover review the ages. He renews and reigns in blood, milk, famine, steel, and plague. Is the heavens fire seen a long spark running? Naturally, the great trouble for humanity appears it could be the coronavirus. That's why some think the famine and other horrors may be coming soon. And like I mentioned earlier, his zombie prediction does claim the battle between half-dead and living will end the world, but there's no mention of the year that it takes place. A few Nostradamus predictions have coincided directly with events that have happened in recent years. One is an asteroid that the philosopher predicted will hit or pass closely by the Earth that I mentioned earlier has been discovered. Yes, NASA is keeping an eye on a few asteroids, 2078 to be exact according to National Geographic. But in 2021, the scientists will launch a program called Double Asteroid Redirection Test, or DART for short which will test its technological capabilities when it comes to pushing threatening asteroids off course. Also, an asteroid called 2014 SD-224 did shoot past Earth on Christmas Day, which means technically this prediction may have already come true now and dozens of times before. One event that appears to be specific in 2021 is that the state of California may be destroyed by an earthquake. The Sloping Park, Great Calamity, through the lands of the West and Lombardy, the fire and the ship, plague and captivity, Mercury and Sagittarius, Saturn is fading, Nostradamus wrote, and Mercury and Sagittarius is scheduled to take place on November 25th, 2021. Nostradamus predicted much more, including an increased threat of climate change, religious trends, military technology, and a lot more.
Hey guys, good news. The outrageously expensive little blue pill is now generic, which means you can get the prescription medication to treat ED at affordable prices. And Hems makes it extra affordable. You pay just 30 bucks for a month's supply. And right now, get your first online doctor's visit totally free when you go to 4hems.com good. That's right, free, zero copay, no expensive appointments, no awkward face-to-face -face conversations to get your prescription. Hims connects you to doctors online who can evaluate you and, if appropriate, prescribe your ED medication. And a pharmacy sends it right to your door. Hims makes it affordable, private, and incredibly easy. Nobody likes dealing with ED. Now, thanks to Hims, nobody has to. And that's really good news. To start your free online visit, you need to go to this exclusive address, 4hims.com slash good. That's 4hims.com slash good for your free online visit. F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash good. Family is big around here. We're family-owned, family-operated, family-managed. And that means legacy. That means dependability. That means using Granger. With over 1.5 million products and knowledgeable product experts, Granger has whatever we need. And with same day pickup and next day delivery options, they have it whenever we need it. For over 90 years, businesses like ours have trusted Granger. Because, like family, Granger's got our back. Call, clickgranger.com, or stop by to see for yourself. Granger, for the ones who get it done. The mysterious disappearance of Nikola Tesla's files after his death. Had all of his possessions and files confiscated by the U.S. government after his death? Question remains, what happened to them? Tesla was one of the greatest inventors and visionaries of all time. At the time of his death, the U.S. government came in, took possession of all of his belongings to stop them from falling into quote-unquote enemy hands. Little is really known about what this great man was working on just before his death, but given the significance of his earlier work, you can forgive the authorities at the time for trying to keep them a state secret until they were reviewed. Much of his work was later released into public domain, but curiously, some of the material appears to be forever lost. Now, a lot of people have often speculated as to how Nikola Tesla died. This is actually more of an interesting question that at first it really seemed, although he was of an advanced age at the time of his death. His final end might have been caused by an earlier incident in his life. In the autumn of 1937, Tesla left the Hotel New Yorker to make his regular commute to the cathedral and library. Whilst crossing the street, he was hit by a taxi cab and thrown to the ground. The incident severely damaged his back and broke three of his ribs. But as he never consulted with a doctor, the full extent of his injuries are to this day unknown. Given his age, 81 at the time, he never really recovered and the accident must have affected his psychology and confidence as well. Tesla was already a very solitary individual who spent most of his life shying away from society. He was much happier with his own company rather than large crowds spent most of his time in his workshop or his own imagination. Tesla had become a recluse in his later years. Following this accident, he spent more and more time on his own in his room, room 3327, the 33rd floor, at the Hotel New Yorker. According to staff at the hotel, he rarely received guests and had special vegetarian-style meals prepared for him on a daily basis by their chef. 
When he did permit staff into his room, he always asked them to remain at least three feet away, 91 centimeters according to his instructions, from him. His fate, it seemed, was in his own hands. The great Nikola Tesla, perfecter of AC, inventor of the Tesla coil, and all-around visionary, inventor, and futurist, would die just as he had chosen to live his life, completely and utterly alone. Nikola Tesla was found dead in his hotel room bed by hotel staff on January the 8th, 1943. It was later established that he had died at approximately 10.45 p.m. on the 7th of January. The maid in question, Alice Monaghan, immediately called a physician who examined Nikola and pronounced him dead shortly thereafter. It was quickly discovered that the cause of death was most likely coronary thrombosis. This is caused by a blood clot in the blood vessels of the heart restricting blood flow and ultimately leading the heart to failure. It is usually associated with um, corrosion or buildup of cholesterol and fats on blood vessel walls. Coronary thrombosis is usually the result of high LDL cholesterol diet, smoking, and um, a lifestyle such as that, hypertension, Tesla rarely drank tea or coffee, stopped smoking in his 20s, and clearly had low cholesterol and fatty diet towards the end of his life. He also had an interesting dietary strategy. He revealed in a fascinating 1935 interview during his life. Within it, he also reveals his love for exercise and importance on healthy body and mind. Clearly, the earlier taxi accident had a profound impact on the old man's last years. A sad end to one of the world's greatest visionaries. One of the things he was working on, even in the late 1800s, close to the point where he died in the 1930s, would be the first ever cell phone technology. Tesla created transceiver technology radio frequencies, radio waves, magnetism used as a form of heating energy, and he had devised a plan to create free energy for the world. This is where the United States government got involved with Thomas Edison and Edison's ability and money and support and back, uh, the backing that he had, to destroy all of Tesla's efforts in the U.S. and claim Tesla's accomplishments as his own in the end. Now, what was Tesla working on when he died, though? That's an even bigger question. His ideas became more and more fantastical towards the end of his life. And one famous example was his announcement of inventing what's known as a death ray on his 78th birthday. He also started to show signs of obsessive-compulsive disorder in his waning years. For example, he became particularly obsessed with the number three. And, as we have previously mentioned, he would ask staff to stand at least three feet away from him at all times. That's 91 centimeters, three feet. OCD was not very well understood at the time, and it was considered a form of madness. By the time he was 81, Tesla had completed a dynamic theory of gravity. When he had announced that the theory had worked out all the details, he never published it. 
For what was announced by Tesla, it seemed was an attempt to explain gravity by using electrodynamics consisting of transverse waves and longitude waves. This was reminiscent of a 1925 Tesla publicly stated experiment where he said there is no thing endowed in life from man who is enslaving the elements to the nimblest creature. Classified FBI documents recently mentioned the idea that Nikola Tesla had a connection with space people and was brought here by them as a baby. This was apparently not revealed until 1950, according to the information in this document. Although the claims within the document are not verifiable and may very well be untrue, as much as they could be true, Nikola Tesla had a well-documented interest in life on other planets and believed to have received signals from other lives from other worlds. The mainstream UFO disclosure is taking off and the subject is no longer taboo. There's a common narrative in the field suggesting that because the mainstream media is presenting the topic the way they are now, the phenomenon represents nothing but lies. The question is, does the mainstream media cover real events and attempt to manipulate the perception of the masses regarding such events? Are there powerful groups of people out there who want to control the narrative when it comes to the topic of UFOs? Reasonable evidence suggests that the CIA hired remote viewers to find out information about extraterrestrials visiting our planet, their intentions, and also potential extraterrestrial bases that exist on Earth. This formula and procedure was first introduced within the writings of Nikola Tesla. The UFO phenomenon is no longer taboo. The reality of it is it has gone mainstream, and so too has the extraterrestrial hypothesis. What are the implications of exploring this topic? Can we really trust the government for any accurate information, any government of any country? The ball is in your court. Monster.fandom.com that's monster.fandom.com. Marco Polo even wrote of encountering giants in Zanzibar who were so strong they could carry as many as four ordinary men. Mid-20th century journalist Glenn D. Kittler said of the Watsui tribe in the east of Congo, men towering seven to eight feet were a common sight in that region. Reputable accounts of giants come from all over the world, says Hugh Newman, co-author with Jim Vera of Giants on Record, America's Hidden History, Secrets in the Mounds and the Smithsonian Files, an extinct, genetically distant subspecies of Homo sapiens. They were said to have been discovered just a decade ago in a cave in Siberia called the Densovians. They lived from 50,000 to 300,000 years ago and are known to be very, very tall, says Newman, and their descendants could have wandered as far west as North America. Newman, who was described as um, on ancientorigins.net as a world explorer and an author, will talk about the Nephilim and the Denisovians and giants in general uh, in lectures, uh, one of which was titled Giantology, Scientific Evidence for a Worldwide Culture of Giants in Prehistory. 
the conference uh, that he was speaking at also talked about and had workshops pertaining to UFOs, ancient aliens, and forbidden archaeology. He gave the long and short of Giantology in a recent telephone interview with an English uh, news publication. He stated that we're looking at different eras, really, in North America. We've got dating that goes back around 10,000 years, right up to the 1900s, when giants have been witnessed. It's quite a large range, but generally, it's anywhere from around 100,000 B.C. to around 900 A.D. Wow, that was a lot in one episode. That's all I've got for you this week. Join me next week for more of the strange and the unusual and the unheard of. Have a great rest of the week. Stay cool because it is wicked hot outside. And this is the week of summer solstice, the beginning of the heat, even though most of June has been sweltering. I can only imagine how August will feel. Thank you and have a good afternoon.